0: this morning is Dr. Eric Schenkel. In 1996, Eric and his wife Elizabeth moved their family to Central Asia where they were involved in planting churches alongside the Jesus Film Project. Eleven years later, Dr. Schenkel was appointed strategy director for CREW in Central Asia, North Africa, and the Middle East. Additionally, he served as executive director of the Jesus Film Project from 2012 to 2018. As of this year, the Jesus film has been translated in over 1,500 languages. Today, the Jesus film is the most watched film ever produced according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Let's give a warm Black Rock welcome to Dr. Eric Shankel. Thank you, Larry. For my wife Elizabeth and I, Elizabeth, could you stand so people can, can see you? So my wife and I, it has truly been a joy and a privilege to be with you for this, your 62nd celebration of what God is doing around the world to fulfill the Great Commission through the connection that your church has with that great work. We had a chance last night to be with folks on your missionary care team and with the missionaries who are here to. Uh, hear from them, and we can attest to the fact that they are truly, truly amazing people on both sides of that relationship. So we're celebrating this week the great love of God, who sends us on a mission to make that love known to everyone, everywhere. One of my favorite scriptures in this regard is 2 Peter 3.9, which says, God is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so Peter is saying that Jesus is, in a sense, delaying his return to earth as judge because he wants everyone everywhere to have a chance to hear the good news that he himself paid the penalty for our sins and that he wants to restore his relationship with every person. About 25 years ago, my family experienced a deeper calling to this global mission. At the time, we were living in a suburb of Boston with our five kids, a big house, dog and a cat and two cars, and I was pastoring a church I'd helped plant 20 years earlier on a college campus. It had now moved to the suburbs, and I had completed uh, working out at it part-time, a PhD in the study of religion. Just gotten a second job as a chaplain of a large Christian prep school in greater Boston, uh, which means that for the first time, we were making ends meet financially. And uh, so I was living the pastor's version of the American dream. (laughs) But something was troubling me. Some people had warned me, don't go back and study world religion because it'll challenge your faith. Instead, what happened was I discovered at a greater depth the need of the world for Jesus Christ. And my heart was particularly drawn to the Muslim world. Elizabeth and I began to investigate what was being done to take the good news to people who had never heard it. And we discovered the work of the Jesus Film Project. They were translating a film based on the gospel of Luke, all the words of Jesus taken right from that gospel, translating it into the languages of everyone in the world so that everyone could see and hear Jesus speaking in their own heart language. And God challenged me. The job I had just gotten had been applied for by 125 people. The Lord challenged me, don't you think that some of those other people could do that job just as well as you? Why don't you go do a job no one wants to do? Within a year, my family was packing up and moving to Tashkent, Uzbekistan, where we met some of your missionaries and became friends with them. It's a former Soviet Muslim republic in Central Asia. We went there to work along Jesus Film Teams. This is an area of the world, and this country is a place where Soviets had dominated for 70 years. And then a 1,000 years before that, They were under Islamic rules of Hans and and Emirs. And it was opening up to Americans and to others for the first time after the fall of the Soviet Union. Not for mission work, but for education and humanitarian assistance, I went to work as a professor. But I spent every available hour working with Jesus Film teams. And we quickly saw the power of the Jesus Film firsthand in this exotic land we'd come to love. The people of Central Asia had been told that Jesus was the Russian God, and that now that the Russians had left, they should return to their Islamic heritage. Well, shortly after we arrived, my wife, Elizabeth, got into a taxi, and as was her custom, she struck up a conversation with a driver, hoping to find an opportunity to share about Jesus. To her surprise, early in the conversation, a driver asked her, do you know Jesus? Jesus. She said, yes, do you? And he said, yes, I do. And she asked him, well, how did you come to know Jesus? And he explained that someone had given him the Jesus film in his first language, which was Tatar. And he watched it, and then he was impressed by it, took it, and showed it to his family. And several members of his family had come to know Jesus, including his grandmother. And as she watched the film, and, and watched it with tears. She said at the end of the film, Jesus speaks my language. He's my God. And she came to faith in Jesus Christ. We saw again and again the peoples of Central Asia when they heard Jesus speaking Tatar and Uzbek and Tajik and Kyrgyz and Karakalpak and Tajik and, and all the languages of the area that their hearts were opened in a new way to the good news of Jesus, we saw hundreds and then thousands of new believers among these Muslim peoples. Jesus was no longer the Russian God. He was their God because they saw him speaking about his glorious wisdom in their own language. We also had some troubles in Central Asia. The worst was four years into our time there when four masked men invaded our home, four in the morning, Uh, Beat my wife and me with a blunt end of hatchets, hoping to drive us away and stop the work we were doing in evangelism and pastoral training. We had to be airlifted out for medical care. But God spoke to us that we should return. I returned in a month. Elizabeth couldn't come back for 10 months because of surgeries and one thing and another. But when we returned and got in place, we had the attention of the people like never before. And as a bonus, the country right next to Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, was opening to American presence again after the war against the Taliban, and our team was able to open educational centers in three cities in Afghanistan, where we very quietly but effectively began to use the Jesus film as part of our English language teaching curriculum. In this very closed country, another aspect of the value of the Jesus film came into focus for me. I was in the city of Herat. It's an ancient city in Afghanistan on the border of Iran where we were opening our center, and I was staying in a guest house run by a humanitarian organization. I arrived home late one afternoon, and the Chucky door, who's the the gatekeeper, uh, was there, and the call to prayer came over the loudspeaker. So I asked him, Are you going to pray? And he said, Yes, I am. And I said, I'll pray too, but I'm a Christian. He said, I want to ask you a question. Why don't you Christians wash your head and your hands and your feet like we Muslims do before we pray? So I quickly shot up a prayer asking for wisdom. And I said, well, Jesus taught us that it's not our body that must be clean before we pray, but it's our hearts. Our hearts are dirty with sin. So the question is, how can I have a clean heart? Then I explained to him how he could have a clean heart by having his sins forgiven. And as I shared with him, I noticed that his face was soft. It wasn't hard like the faces of most of the people when I'd shared with them about Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, especially uh, in that Muslim city. I told him how he could pray that night to have his sins forgiven and know that he would have eternal life with God. And the next morning when I saw him at breakfast, I asked him if he'd prayed as I suggested. And he said that yes, he had prayed for the first time in that way. And I asked him why he'd been so open to my instruction. And he told me, well, someone who stayed here months ago gave me a little recorder like this one. And on it was an audio version of the Jesus film. And he had listened to the film many times, and it had softened his heart. And this isn't uncommon. The Muslim world has been flooded with audio and video Jesus films, which in many cases are, it's the only film that people will ever see in their own heart language. And so they watch it, or they listen to it again and again. And studies show that Muslims usually require several or many hearings of the good news of Jesus before they're ready to take this huge step of giving their life to him. So quietly and private, many Muslim minds are being washed by the word of God through the Jesus film and audio Bibles and other materials on devices like this. Eight years ago, after 16 years in the Muslim world, I was asked to return to the U.S. and give leadership to the global ministry of the Jesus Film Project, a tremendous privilege. And I had the privilege of watching firsthand this great explosion of the gospel, probably the greatest explosion in history, that we as a Jesus Film are a part of with many, many partner organizations and others. Our skillful Jesus Film staff created the Jesus Film app which you can get on your own phone at your app store. On it are the Jesus film and many other films that are powerful in explaining who Jesus is in over 1,700 languages. Last year alone, more than 300 million viewings of these films took place around the world, many of them on phones and mobile devices, we also know from reports that thousands of new churches were started in nearly every country in the world by teams of local Christians taking the Jesus film on, on small projectors, not much bigger than this, about the size of your cell phone, equipped with the Jesus film in the local language on a little micro SD card that literally is the size of the nail on your on your little finger. Of course, Jesus... Film Project is not the only Christian ministry that's leveraging the power of technology to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. The incredible work of Christian radio, like Trans World Radio and television around the world, is exposing millions to the good news of Jesus every day. In the Muslim world, the work of Sat7 TV, Al-Hayat, Mohabbat TV, and others are broadcasting into areas of the world that are difficult to reach by face-to-face ministry. Bible translation agencies like Wycliffe and Seed Company are using technology to accelerate their work like never before. They're able to bring Scripture more quickly to unreached people groups. Bible apps like YouVersion and oral Bible apps like Faith Comes by Hearings, Bible.is, are making Scripture available in remote areas in people's heart language. The Internet enables people in closed societies who are seeking information about Jesus to do it privately in their own homes or in internet cafes without fear of exposing themselves until they're ready to clear their faith. Millions are coming to faith online through ministries like Global Media Outreach and dozens of other effective online ministries that are being led by what we call digital natives. People like most of you who have grown up online spending a lot of your life online. The largest Arab language church in the Middle East is an online church. It has 200,000 visitors every week to their fresh worship services that they, they post. I was in the Middle East two weeks ago, and I heard from one of their staff members a story of a woman I'll call Marta. She called into their phone line saying, I don't like my life. I need to change. She'd left her husband and moved in with another man, which you don't do in her country. She was facing social rejection, and she was afraid and deeply ashamed. And then she tuned in to the church online. From her computer screen, she heard the truth about Jesus, that he could save her and help her. So she called our volunteers. They said they had a two-hour conversation with her. And she was crying, and at the end she prayed And she invited Jesus into her life. Since then, she's been in daily contact with them. They're going through discipleship material with her. They've actually been able to connect her with a group of Christians in her local area. She recently decided to leave the man she was living with. She wants to be baptized, which is a huge step. And that's very quick for a, a convert in her country to have that desire. It's a huge step for her. God is powerfully at work in parts of the world that we've usually thought of as difficult for Christians. Countries in sub-Saharan Africa, East Asia, Latin America are becoming the leading mission-sending countries in the world. A recent book by a prominent missiologist surveyed the Muslim world and identified 69 distinct what he calls people movements in the 21st century, just these few years uh, that, we've, that we've been in the 21st century. And in each of these 69 movements, that means there are at least 1,000 Muslims who have come to faith or 100 groups that have been started within that 20-year period. And according to his research, this represents 84% of all such people movements in the entire history of Islam. God's work is accelerating, and this kind of work always takes place through the zeal of local believers who build on the work of cross-cultural missionaries and go to the next village and the next town, uh, the next neighborhood, the next high-rise apartment. Another encouraging factor in global mission is that barriers between Christian groups are being overcome as we work together like never before. Increasingly, by God's grace, Christian groups are laying aside our egos and our logos. And reducing duplication and, and, and competition out of a desire to finish the task together. We're in touch with one church planting coalition that includes 76 major denominations and mission groups. They've collectively planted over a million churches in the last 12 years. They've banded together with a goal of planting a church for every thousand people across the face of the earth in places where they don't exist and to do so by sharing their resources. So this week is a celebration of all that God is doing. But it's also an invitation. It's an invitation to each one of us to take the next step in our own discipleship by examining how we're participating in Christ's global mission. It's an opportunity for us to lift our eyes to the world to focus on the most needy parts of the world and of the task, and to ask the question, how can I invest the time and talent and treasure that God has put in my hands to help people around the world enjoy what we enjoy, the blessings of restored relationship with God and the blessings of fellowship with his saints. So today I encourage you to ask God what he would have you do. My family and I had the privilege of physically moving overseas to live and to work and even to suffer a little bit. We're blessed to have done what we've done and to have seen what we've seen. But we've also been blessed to meet people right here in the U.S. who have never gone, but who have embraced God's call to steward the riches he's entrusted to them and to steward their time in faithful prayer. They have invested in the kingdom of heaven, and they are heroes in my eyes and my wife's eyes. It's great to hear the stories of missionaries on the field, but there are just as many stories of heroism among those here who give financially to mission. People who get up every morning, work hard faithfully, and give the money they've earned back to God and to his purpose. We have friends who live in California and flip houses, buy a house, fix it up, and sell it, just like a lot of people in California do who are trying to make a lot of money. They've flipped many, many houses, but unlike others, this couple gives all the money they make to missions, and they live in the same very modest home they have been in for 40 years. He always wears a baseball cap, and I always think if people only knew who he was, He's so easy to underestimate. Another couple we know have given millions to Mission. They live in a modest home in rural Ohio. When we were visiting them, they, they took us up to see the, garbage, the landfill that they had created uh, in the course of their career uh, salvaging garbage. That's the way they've made their money. And I wept when we stood on top of that landfill, and they said to me, let us show you how you can see all the way to the next county from the top of this hill. And I thought these are people who have literally affected lives on every continent, thousands that I alone know, that I myself know of. And yet they've never been beyond the next county. Other friends I know made a lot of money in the oil industry. They decided a couple of decades ago that they wanted to die with nothing. And they will accomplish that. One of our supporters in Boston has sent us $25 a month for the entire 20 plus years that we have been cross cultural uh, ministers. He's disabled, he lives in subsidized housing, but he wants to give generously from what he receives and what he has. He is a hero to us. Every hero has a story. Ask God now how you can write your story. You know, there are seven and a half billion people in the world. We checked in the car on the way over this morning, and that's the right number. About two and a half billion of them are professing Christians. That means there are as many Christians in the world today as there were people in the world 100 years ago. And it means that the percentage of Christians in the world, we've we've basically kept pace with the incredible growth in population over the last century and a half. Two and a half billion. Not bad when you consider that we started with 12. Missionary leaders tell us that for the first time in history, every people group in the world now has a group of Christians committed to engage them with the good news. Jesus said... The good news of the kingdom will be preached as a witness in all the people groups and then the end will come. God is using communication technology for his purposes to make his love known to everyone in the world. Revelation chapter seven tells us where history is headed. To this scene around the throne of God where people from every nation and tribe and people group and language are praising God for his glorious salvation. Now is the time to redouble our efforts, to make new commitments, to work together like never before with brothers and sisters around the world, to complete the proclamation of the good news to every tribe and on every touch screen until every person has had the chance to know Jesus. And on that day, those who pray, those who give, and those who go will rejoice together and will give him all the glory. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.